Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com, here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Texas Tech Sports Podcast. Going to be focused on football primarily this week. I'm Don Williams from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Texas Tech football beat writer, joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva Jr. We are uh, two-thirds of the way through the season, Carlos, and uh, I've have noted before that I've been covering Texas Tech football for 36 years now, and and a first for me happens this week as uh, Texas Tech dismisses Matt Wells midway through the season, and uh, I've never covered a Texas Tech football team uh, during which time that happened. I believe the last guy, uh, Texas Tech head coach, who was let go before the season ended was was Jerry Moore in 1985, and T. Jones let him, I think, fired Jerry Moore with a, one game left. And I don't, I don't recall. I, I want to say that Jerry Moore went ahead and coached that last game, but uh, it had been made public that he was not going to return beyond that in '85. But for a coach to be let go with four games left in the season, particularly given that it is the most uh, difficult, challenging stretch, the home stretch, take getting ready to face four ranked opponents in a row. That's just, uh, to my knowledge, unprecedented for this program. Well, not only that, but then you even said it in one of in most of your stories. You kept reiterating it, Don. It was the first time in, uh, I can't remember what the year was, but your first eight opponents were unranked, you know? And uh, I think since 19, 1966. Yeah. Last yeah. time, last time Texas opened with four unranked opponents was 1966. Yeah. So they're just kind of making up for it now with those last four. But yeah, obviously we'll get to all the Twitter questions. I think this one's going to be focused on all the questions that people want answered by you, myself, maybe if uh, I have a couple of comments, but certainly both of our phones have been pretty busy the last couple of days after that 25 to 24 loss to Kansas State. I'll go through a little bit of a summary and then we'll kind of go into questions after that, as you kind of alluded to. They're playing in Oklahoma this weekend. Sorry. And I apologize. I, I, I might have misspoke a moment ago. You you asked the last time Texas Tech had um, opened the season with eight consecutive unranked opponents. I think I missed yes. four consecutive unranked opponents. Four, four, four. four. Correct. You're, you're right. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. It, it was eight. eight. Okay, last, gotcha. gotcha. Last time Tech is uh, last time Texas Tech had uh, opened the season with eight unranked opponents, as happened this year. The last time that had happened before was 1966. I think a moment ago I said four unranked opponents. It's eight unranked opponents open the season. Happened this year and not happened since 1966, but the Red Raiders going to make up for it because every opponent left on the schedule now is ranked. Uh, with uh, Oklahoma this weekend, number four, going to be 2.30 p.m. Saturday. Uh, and then after the open date next week, it is uh, home game. Iowa State. 
Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and then uh, the road finale against Baylor. All those teams ranked. But uh, as you alluded to, I think people are not not as interested in the games this week as they are uh, the coaching situation. So we're just going to swing it right to uh, questions. Um, and uh, Chase Wade asked, uh, when do we expect to hear a statement from Matt Wells? It's been 48-plus hours and nothing. And uh, – Again, Carlos, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure here that you um, that coaches who are let go necessarily speak publicly in the immediate in the immediate aftermath. I mean, the the only example we have is Cliff Kingsbury, and I know I've got that big old uh, full page ad that he took out in the paper that kind of explained it. Um, I know he did that, but. A little bit different of a situation where Cliff played as a quarterback, was a Texas Tech alum, so maybe there was something to that. Um, certainly, you can probably attest to this a little bit more since you've covered. I know that was one of the questions, and I was kind of interested, but you've been covering this for 36 years, which I know we joke about it, but that's longer than I've been alive been covering this football program. So how many coaches have you gone through and kind of watched go, uh, come and go, so to speak, and now you're going to potentially see another one? Mm, six, I believe. Everyone starting with David McWilliams. And David was the head coach of Texas Tech in 1986 when I was working at the campus paper. And uh, I don't remember David necessarily speaking to uh, the Texas Tech folks. He uh, is infamous with Texas Tech people for uh, uh, jetting off to Austin and then his yeah. wife you know, flashed the hook'em horns at the introductory press conference, which is understandable. You'd expect the coach's wife to flash the uh, guns up at an introductory tech press conference, but that was kind of seared in the minds of uh, Texas Tech fans when she did that. Uh, And Dave was kind of, his name kind of lived in infamy uh, at Tech, which I I think is unfortunate because David, uh, he won seven games that year, took Tech to uh, a bowl game for the, in 1986 for the first time since 1979. And, uh, and in dealings with him both then and ever since, David McWilliams uh, is, was just a really uh, super individual and human being, from my experience, a really, a really nice guy. That's how he was when I was a student reporter at the campus paper. And that's how he was, you know, uh, years later, you know, when, when Spike Dykes passed away a few years ago, uh, talked to David McWilliams and he was gracious and gave me gave us some uh, some really yeah. good Spike anecdotes. But yeah. You know, I guess to, you know, kind of get back to the original point, though. Uh, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot of uh, going away press conferences, so to speak, for coaches. He certainly didn't have that with uh, with Tommy Tuberville, and as you said, with Cliff, I think uh, you know he did the ad in the paper, but I don't remember Cliff uh, really speaking publicly about Texas Tech, unless he was asked by the Cardinals. Uh, there, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's cut to the chase. The question that everybody wants to know, let's just let's just wrap it up right now, Carlos. Mike, Mike Engel, our friend at the Fort Worth Star Telegram, says, who is the next, the next Texas Tech coach? Well, wrapping it up, and not only that, but doing Mac's job too, right? <laughs> I know we got to be you know, careful. We got to be careful sharing secrets because uh, uh, I might give an answer, and Mac might say that's not what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, certainly he was the one that first reported all this stuff after uh, Texas Tech. I know I mentioned it before, and and we'll obviously get to the question, but uh, 25 to 24 loss, 
started with a 14-0 lead and 24 to 10 at halftime, and then you squander that. And I think that was certainly, if it wasn't the oh, it was oh, that well, well, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to be nicer, done. But if it wasn't the domino that was the last one, it was certainly the the last one that kind of opened the door for all of this to happen. And I think that there was a nice story. I don't know if you saw it, but little look into from pro football uh, or not, pardon me. I, I can't remember where it was from, but, but I know Zach Barnett um, covers college football. Um, they did a story that said Texas Tech not only won the running game, the passing game, got more turnovers. Apparently they had like a 93% chance to win that game. And that's enough on a way to lose. And apparently that does not happen a lot. And I think I'm sure Kirby has plenty of, uh, you know, knowledge, as he mentioned, with those 30 games to look at. But I think for for, for the way that Zach looked at it, I thought it put, gave a pretty good perspective as to how frustrating of a loss that was because you've won so many things. And then, of course, going into that, Matt Wells let go on Monday. And then back to the question from Matt Gangle. Well, who are the candidates and who should be hired, Don? Well, next, you know, next Texas Tech coach, if you ask me, if you told me somebody's going to be, if, te- if you told me that Texas Tech would have a deal with somebody in the next, uh, I don't know, 48, 72 hours within the next week, something like that. And I, I would say it's one of two individuals. It's either Sonny Dykes at SMU or it's Jeff Trailer at Stephen F. Austin. Both those coaches uh, undefeated with their teams this year. Jeff Trailer at UTSA is 8 0. Sonny Dykes at, at, at SMU is 7 0. I think those are pretty clearly, from my understanding, that the, the two that they are immediately focused on right now, the two coaches that are in their own backyard and who are winning big. Uh, of those two, I think the safer choice is Sonny Dykes because Sonny has been a college football head coach for 11 years. He's been a coach in a Power Five conference before then with uh, you know the years he spent as an assistant at Tech, as an assistant at Arizona. Um, so I think you kind of know what you're getting with him. He's uh, Obviously, he knows the the territory of Texas Tech. He knows who Texas Tech is, its identity, what it needs, what you have to do and need to do to win here. He has continued his uh, uh, Texas high school recruiting ties at SMU. I think he's the safer of those two choices. And I think then the wild card is Jeff Trailer, who is, uh, you know, he's winning big this year. He's 15 and five as a college head coach. He uh, uh, is from East Texas, community of Gilmer. That's his hometown. And then from 2000 to 2014, he led his hometown school to the state championship game five times. And he won they three. were a dynasty. If anyone knows and covers high school, they were Buckeyes. They were a dynasty. And and people, uh, I think he, I think he's a real intriguing guy for Texas Tech. You know, his personality and, uh, um, you know, those connections to Texas high school coaches, they feel like could be mined for, uh, for recruiting uh, purposes. Um, but he's he, he's a higher risk guy because I think again with Sonny with Sonny Dykes I think you have kind of a baseline of knowing what you're getting and uh, a certain expectation with him. Uh, you feel like uh, you feel like there's no way that if, if you hire Sonny Dykes I think you feel like there's no way it's a disaster. If you hire uh, Trailer I think you feel like uh, could he keep winning big or could he be another coach that uh, you know two years at UTSA wasn't enough. And um, I think there would be immediate pressure on him because if he loses two or three games and looks bad doing it, 
then you would have the same criticism that Matt Wells got. And you would have the, that crowd that said uh, a group of five coaches in over his head. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, that that's a risk that you run, you know, again, particularly with a guy who spent most of his coaching career in high school and uh, in a little bit of time as an assistant at Texas and SMU and at Arkansas, which I wrote it this week, you can't really pin other people's failures on him. But, you know, he was with Charlie Strong at Texas, and he was with Chad Morris at Arkansas. And, you know, Chad Morris, uh, the Chad Morris-Arkansas tenure has been one of the biggest uh, college football coaching disasters of uh, in recent years. It only lasted two years before they pulled the plug on that. Yeah, but they seem to have figured it out with Sam Pittman, though, so you got to give him credit for that. And, and that's the thing with these coaching searches, Don. I think a lot of people forget there's a lot of risk involved. And I think when you look at it, and, and if you want, I think we should probably point some of these facts out that Kirby brought up. I know before everyone always looks at the elite part, but certainly uh, that was weird. Sorry about that. Um, when you kind of uh, look at what he was talking about during his press conference, um, he was talking about a coach with ties to Texas high schools. That's certainly something that Sonny Dykes and Jeff Trailer both have. You look at a guy that's kind of done it the right way. Both of those guys are like that. Um, and I guess what were some of the other points that kind of stood out to you when he did talk? And and just to kind of uh, make sure I get this point across before I forget, it was uh, Zach Barnett. I was correct with the name, but Football Scoop uh, is the website that I was looking at. And it's essentially called Winning Box Scores. And he looks at all the box scores and kind of looks at the percentages and how you should win or lose. And that was really kind of what – uh, spark that story uh, with Matt Wells and that, but back to this. Um, I agree with you with both. I've talked to people and they both, and, and, and most of the people that I've texted with, they've agreed with both of those candidates, candidates, part of me that you mentioned that those are probably the top two. Um, I agree that Sonny is probably the safer of the two. The other thing that you have to look at is the type of players that, Jeff Trailer is recruiting right now work for him in that group of five, if you will, if you want to use that term. Sonny, though, has kind of done what Matt Wells did and hit on some very good transfer portal guys like a Tanner Mordecai at quarterback. So that's something that's kind of interesting to kind of see when you look at not only the recruiting, but just some of those other things that some of these coaches can bring. And then I, I think there's kind of the just the bringing back a Texas Tech guy. I think there's something to that. I think that could certainly, as Kirby liked to say, unify the fan base. That's more than one way to do it. If you bring a guy with the the last name of Dykes, because he certainly brought a lot of success back in the day when when his father was here. And not only that, but that you, you you can even talk about this, Don. He was part of a staff of Mike Leach, so those people can maybe be appeased a little bit because it's like, oh, this guy worked with them. Maybe maybe we'll get some of that magic back. Yep, seven years under Mike. Uh, Ryan Hyatt asked, our friend Ryan asked, is Matt Wells the Jerry Moore 2.0? Why or why not? Um, That's a question for you. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, you can make that analogy. Uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry was here five years. Uh, Jerry never had a losing record. Now, Matt Wells, you can't say that about Matt because they were five and three this year when he was let go. But they were uh, alike in that both are really nice guys. Um, uh, and, and who just couldn't get it going. Jerry Moore's teams had a lot of played played good defense, had a lot of close calls. Uh, his 
final year, they lost four games by a total of six points. Now, I didn't say four games by six points or less. I said they lost four games by a total of six points. A couple of games they lost by one point, a couple of games they lost by two points. And you can also uh, point to one particular moment in the uh, tech career of each that was kind of their epitaph. And I wrote about, you know, with Matt, it was uh, what happened on Saturday where you have Kansas State in third and 34, and somehow, you know, you commit a penalty, it gives them an automatic first down, and they go down and score, and they beat you. And for Jerry Moore, it was the Texas A&M game in 1985 where um, you score the touchdown to cut it to 28 to 27, and Jerry is – uh, he's he's going to kick the extra point to uh, to tie it. And then uh, when everybody's all excited after they scored the touchdown, he decided he can't, you know, everybody's so excited that, by golly, let's go for two. And so then they call the extra, they call the kicking team off. They send the offense back out. In all the chaos, they get a delay of game penalty. So the ball boosts back from the three to the eight. And – by golly, we said we're going for two. We're still going for two from the eight-yard line. And uh, Pasco's incomplete. And the and, and that was it. Jerry Moore, that, that was early in the season, and he was let go before the last game of the season. But that was kind of the moment where you knew the Jerry Moore era was over was uh, when you had the Aggies with a chance to at least get a tie. And you can't control the excitement. And – there's so much confusion on go for two or kick the extra point. And he just completely botch it. And yeah. that kind of, that was kind of his last moment. So yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of analogous in those ways. Uh, really nice guys who uh, had some close losses and it just seemed like if, if, if something, whatever could go wrong, kind of did go wrong uh, for the yeah. others. Yeah, and and I guess just to kind of bring up a point before you, we get to the next question, Don. I know there seems to be a lot of attention on the fact that Texas Tech fired Matt Wells with a five and three record, a winning record. I think a little bit of perspective is needed here because I think maybe some of those national pundits or just some people on Twitter forget that Matt Wells had a or Kirby Hoke had had a press conference saying that Matt Wells was coming back last year at the end of the season, and not only that, but he's coming back, and we're going to get a new offensive coordinator. So I think. Uh, there was some sort of thin ice there. Matt Wells knew what this season was for him. And I think uh, the other thing too, that's kind of forgotten is a lot of those wins were against FCS teams and, you know, some teams that probably aren't in the power five. So I think that's something else to kind of look at. And you've alluded to it before Houston Baptist, you barely struggled to beat them. You needed a fourth down stop this year against Stephen F. Austin to get that victory. And I think that's something to kind of just look at and kind of think, okay, maybe there's a little bit more and maybe that's why Kirby Hogan wanted to be a little bit more proactive to maybe get some of these other guys that could be available now if you, you know, start to, you know, get some conversations going now compared to, I think, uh, the next, the final game is at Baylor November the 29th, 27th, so almost – exactly a month from now. So that's a lot of time to at least get some of that pre-work done or just kind of figure out what, what works out. And that of course probably leads into the next question you're asking, which is probably a coaching search question. Uh, I see a actually player personnel question. Yeah, oh, cool. 
going to tie two questions together here. Tweets by Trey asked, is uh, Tyler Shuck going to play again this year? Uh, short answer to that, I think yes. Uh, CC Sports Talk asked, if Tyler Shuck had not been injured, would Tech be 6-2 and two right now? And if so, they pull the plug on the Wells here now or wait to see how the rest of the season played out. That's a that's a really good question. So, so start with, you know, Matt Wells said that uh, Shuck would be out at least six weeks. And I've uh, uh, written, I think, a couple of times, uh, game after the bye week will be seven weeks since he was injured. Yeah, uh, I've seen Tyler, you know, in the building a couple of times recently. Uh, looks pretty sure I saw the other day I saw him. He didn't even have an arm in a sling or anything. Uh, I, I'm assuming that he will be able to go at some point in those last three games, that he will be physically cleared. That's, you know, assuming his x-rays look right and they determine that he's he's healing kind of on schedule, I think he'll be ready to go. Uh, I, I think you will see him again this year. Now, a good question. If he had not been injured, we'd take me six and two. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to say yes because, you know, Henry Columbia's uh, uh, really, you know, he was really good uh, at Texas, and 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 it made plays at West Virginia. He was really good at West Virginia. Uh, was not the reason that you lost to TCU. You know, he, he he threw the deep ball well. He's thrown the deep ball well. Uh, was good. But, you know, his last two weeks he's had the uh, – and particularly this past week, had his two lowest uh, passing totals, 100, you know, 124 yards in one game and 148 in the other. Now, Kansas game, they didn't really need to throw it. So, you can kind of absolve him for, absolve him for that. K-State game, though, would uh, Tyler Shuck have made a difference? Maybe, you know, in a one-point game. Maybe you get maybe uh, maybe Tyler scores seven points in the second half, rather than them getting shut out. So I think yeah, I think it's conceivable that, that they could be six and two now, if he were in there, and if the if they were, would they have pulled the plug on the Matt Wills here? And now I don't, I don't think so. I don't think if they won that game Saturday that we'd be talking about a coaching change right now. I'm I'm kind of inclined to think the same way, Don. The the problem I have is the two games where you got demolished I guess if, if that's the the correct word but that was your defense that kind of took you out of it and in those two games too if you want to look at a interesting I guess thing that mirrored there was a pick six in Texas that was thrown by Henry Columbia and a pick not necessarily a pick six but a interception that Henry Columbia threw against Kansas State that kind of turned the tide as well where Texas Tech at least had, if I'm not mistaken, at least in field goal range at that point. And again, uh, Sonny had mentioned that was on him. He made the call or that was a coaching decision that I guess Henry Columbia decided to throw there. But I think that's been the thing is he improved his throwing motion. He's the, the, the knock on him was he couldn't throw deep accurate balls last year. He improved on that a little bit, but certainly you look at the way that the plays have been called by Sonny so far and their controlled passes that are intermediate to some of the, to some of the inside receivers or sometimes it's a screen or, I mean, we've seen a little bit of miles price getting added to this, to the mix by, you know, some of these jet sweeps. Um, and I think there's something to that. I think maybe you'd be throwing the ball a little deeper with Tyler. I know that was something that we saw early on. It didn't work out because, uh, as we know, it was just kind of that weird deal where you just didn't get enough plays to actually see the offense. And then now that you finally do, you don't have Tyler playing at quarterback. But, I I mean, maybe they can be 6-2. and two. 
I I don't know if maybe that makes a difference in the TCU game just because of the way the defense is played, but I think the inconsistency from a week-to-week basis is really kind of the, the, the biggest thing that I would say is more uh, telling more so than just having one player back because you look at this whole time they had Eric Gonman. and if I told you that he was gone for this amount of time, would that have changed your mind as to what the record is now, Don? I mean, it's one of those deals, you know? Yeah. Take it, uh, yeah. Take w- 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 one more thought on it. Again, I, I think maybe they have Tyler Shucks that win that game Saturday, but you know what? Uh, did they win the game in West Virginia? Because Henry was really good that day and the offense was uh-huh. – that's true. In the first half, in the first half, you know they were very efficient and scored seventeen points, and uh, and he played really well in the first half of that game. So maybe uh, would they have won that game? Maybe Henry was one of the reasons they won that game. Would Tyler have been as on point as Henry was that day? Well, here's the other thing too. That, and, and sorry to interrupt you, Don, but but I think the person that you could really credit in that West Virginia game is Jonathan Garibay. Because you look at the defense, they gave him 17 in that third quarter. And obviously, Jonathan Garibay with the six points in that fourth quarter, one be the game winner. But then that last one right before half, I think, again, to your point, Henry Columbia led the charge to get that field goal. But uh, Jonathan Garibay certainly uh, something that I, I would say maybe they're not, you know, the record that they are without him, at least if you take away that West Virginia game. And maybe that Wells isn't there at that point. Uh, let's see. Next question is from our old friend who used to work here next to us, Alexis Cubit. Oh. To Alexis in uh, South Carolina these days, she asked, uh, "How many football coaches have I covered at Texas Tech now, and how have I out- outlasted them all?" Let's see. So it's it's six head coaches, and there will be three interim head coaches. It's uh, it's Dave McWilliams, it's Spike Dykes, it's Mike Leach, it's Tommy Tuberville, it's Cliff Kingsbury, it's Matt Wells. And the interims were Ruffin McNeil at the bowl game in 09, Chris Thompson at the bowl game in 2012, and Sonny Gumby this Saturday. How about it lasted them all? I, I like it here for one thing. I don't I don't there like I don't like big cities. I don't want to live anywhere else. And uh nobody uh nobody took my nobody uh, cleaned out my desk. So so I guess that's how I've outlasted I guess that's how I've outlasted them. Uh, let's see. One little note, done During two of those interim coaches, who was on that staff? Sonny Cumbie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was on yeah. this. Uh, he was there for both of those uh, bowl games. Yep. With Ruffin and with uh, Chris Thompson. Yep. Tweet, tweets by Trey asks: Would uh, Kirby Hokut have to resign or be fired for Art Bryles to be the coach? Um, and be a lot more than Kirby. <laughs> Well, here, here's the thing. There, there are no doubt about it. There are people with money at Texas Tech who want Art Bryles to be the coach. Yes. Hires Art Bryles. Uh, Texas Tech's going to be destroyed in the court of public opinion and public relations. And then Lawrence Skuvenik is going to have to stand up there and defend it to the academic types. And Kirby Hokut is going to have to stand up there and defend it to the uh, sports media types and um neither of them i think have been neither of them have wanted to go down the art browse road uh they have refused uh, i think just texas tech in general has refused to consider the possibility of bringing back art browse in years past and this is not new this is not something it's just in the last few weeks 
There are people who wanted Art Briles last year. There are people who wanted Art Briles three years ago. So far, Texas Tech has refused to consider the, to consider him. And uh, even with, um, uh, you know, an artist told people that he would take this job for uh, for a cut rate amount of pay, way below market value, way below what uh, Power Five coaches normally make. He would just take the job to be back on the sideline and be back in charge of a program. Uh, but even with the enticements and with, you know, here, here's a guy who got Houston going, who got Baylor going, he, he wins. But even with that, I, I, it's hard for me to see tech. It's hard to me, for me to see tech hiring him. And I go back to what one of the things Kirby said on Monday, which was, you got they have to unify the fan base and unify the community around the football program like never before. And it's been pretty apparent, I think, on social media that hiring the idea of hiring Art Riles would not be unifying. It would be the opposite. So I just don't think that they're going to open up that uh, open up that uh, kettle of kettle of fish, to use a poor cliche. Pandora's box is the Pandora's box. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, I mean, just to make one quick point before we switch to the next question, Don, let's not forget what happened when the Hamilton Tiger cats tried to hire him. And a day later, essentially from all the backlash, they decided not to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trey also asked, how likely do you think each of trailer Dykes, Bryles or anyone else are to be selected? Would Dykes even want the job? Uh, if you if you ask me at this point, I would say Sonny Dykes. I would say I would say Sonny Dykes and Jeff Trailer are co favorites. Fifty uh, percent chance of getting the job for each, depending on if they picked one, depending on who they liked between those two. Art Bryles, uh, again, ten percent chance if that. I think it's highly unlikely. Uh, anyone else? Uh, it's pretty clear to me. And again, this, this is the coaching search. You never know; these things can can take twists and turns. Um, what about Dion, Don? That's who I see. Everyone wants Dion Sanders. That's preposterous. I'm sorry. I, I, I agree with you. It's Twitter. And, and uh, well, when Jerry Moore when Jerry Moore was hired, there are people who wanted uh, Bobby Lane, baby. Bobby Lane, who was a. Uh, Old, old star NFL quarterback. Yeah. Uh, he was, I think, living in Lubbock at the time. He liked to party. And uh, he would have been he would have been a terrible choice for Texas Tech football coach. And I'm, I'm sorry to all the people who want Dion. That's not happening. And, coach and Prime. At, 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 this, at this time. So, yeah, right, right now, it's trailer and Dykes are the favorites by far. And anyone else? Yeah. Somebody might, somebody might emerge. Somebody might, uh, they might get somebody's agent might call and say, "Hey, my coach really would like it. Would like to talk to you guys. He, he, he thinks he can go win at Texas Tech and get the thing going." Um, I mean, here, here's something I saw on Twitter, Don. I don't find any credence to this because, like I said, you and I kind of have our sources that we talk to, and we, we've already mentioned the top two picks. I saw on Twitter where apparently Matt Rule would not rule out going back to college. That would be an interesting. That would be an interesting pick because he has been in the Big 12 and certainly helped resurrect Baylor from where they were. So that would be interesting. I'm not saying again, 
because I'm sure people will already start the headlines on oh, Carlos Silva, Mark, Matt, Matt Rule potentially interested. I just saw it on Twitter. It was an interesting little tidbit I saw, but I don't think there's a chance Matt Rule goes to Texas Tech. But it just goes to show that there are other options that can, as you said, in these twists and turns, because, again, the last regular season game for Texas Tech, assuming they do not go to a bowl, will be November the 27th at Baylor. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Trey asked one more question. Would Sonny Dykes even want the job? Uh, I think, yeah, he would, uh, because you know, this is his hometown. He grew up here. His dad was coach here for 13 years, was head coach for 13 years. Um, uh, yeah, I do think he would want the job. I think the, the interesting angle with Sonny is how much money will it take to get him to come here? Because SMU is paying him – uh, Let me look this up right now. You can three, a little bit. I think SMU's paying him three to three and a half million, and with what he's doing this year, um, he is going to he's going to get a raise. SMU is going to try to get, give him a lock him in longer term, and he's going to be marketable. You know, other schools are going to want him too. I think uh, you may have to go. You may have to go over four to get Sonny. Uh, and and here's the context of that. Uh, that would be more than you pay. We're paying Cliff. It'd be more than you were paying Matt Wells. Um, he, he's. I think he would want the job, but I don't think he's going to give you a hometown discount to use a, a professional free agent term. So, according to the USA Today salary coaching salary database, which you and I love to peruse every once in a while, one point three million dollars, which is a huge savings for SMU right now, as you mentioned. So he is. Wait a minute. That, that's that. That may that must be base. That's not his total comp. That can't be his total compensation. Well, right now it's one point three, and I and I and the whole reason I say that is because I looked at Matt Wells and he was at three. So he's. I mean, I, I imagine that's it says. Total pay. So that's what I'm looking at right now is total pay for Sonny Dykes. I can look it up again and kind of do it. But. Let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move yeah. on. Red, Red Hounds asked thoughts on Jay Norvell at Nevada. Uh, uh, how Mummy's son is the offensive coordinator and an air raid guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's intriguing from the standpoint of Nevada's the uh, third in the nation in total offense or, pardon me, passing offense this year. Carson Strong, really good. Carson Strong at quarterback. Uh, Red, Hound, Red Hounds points out that he has a great pedigree at OU as a Bob Stoops assistant and a great recruiter. And he is kind of interesting. Among the coaches that haven't really been mentioned, uh, he is kind of interesting because, you know, he's an experienced Power 5 guy. He was on staff at OU. He was on staff at Texas. Um so he kind of knows the territory, but I haven't been told that uh, his name has not been shared with me as a candidate or as a target. And I wonder too about, uh, as mentioned, they run an air raid. And, you know, the last time, you know, when Tech fired Cliff, one of Kirby, one of the things that Kirby Hoka said was, we've seen where we've hired. We played exciting offenses. We've thrown the ball up and down the field. We scored a ton of points, and we've seen where that's gotten us. Um, so I don't know that he wants to go back to an air raid guy because I, I think he's more inclined to – he wants somebody who's going to help the de- – you know, give the defense some help. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, Ryan Hodges asked about Graham Harrell. Uh, says he really wants it, even though people see it as a cliff 2.0. Are they right? Uh, you know, no way to really know until until Graham gets that chance. With that said, I, I, he's not. On, I don't think he's on the A list right now. I don't think he's on the short list. Yeah, I, um, I, I think I, I guess I think that ship has sailed. I think that's fair to say. I, I wouldn't rule it out, but uh, I think you'd probably have to get some other guys say no for him to uh, get an opportunity. Uh, Robert Powell asked, uh, how come Donovan Smith, pardon me, gets offensive packages and Baron Morton doesn't? Uh, also, was uh, TJ Storman hurt last week? He was very slow to block the defensive lineman on the safety. And I thought I read somewhere that he was hurt. You're right, Robert. Uh, TJ, uh, you know, he suffered the ankle injury against TCU, um, but came back. Yeah, oh, pardon me. Suffered the ankle injury against TCU, missed the Kansas game, and then came back last week and started. Um, was he still feeling it? Uh, maybe a little bit, but I'm, I don't think that they would put him out there, particularly at a position at left tackle, if they felt like he was compromised, if they felt like the ankle was still was at a point where he couldn't. Yeah, he was affected. Um, so yeah, he, he has been hurt recently, but I don't think again they would have put him out there at left tackle if they felt like he couldn't move. Uh, as to why Donovan Smith gets the offensive packages, Barrymore doesn't. I, I think it's probably just you know Donovan has been in the system for a year longer. Does have a big frame too. He's a big guy, and I forget who it was that said it, but. Uh, they said, you know, maybe Donovan realizes that being 6'5 and 230 pounds, uh, guys aren't real eager to tackle him. Yeah. You know, said, you know, Baron obviously is a different different size guy, you know, smaller, not not, not as big. But but uh, he has a lot of mobility and can really run. But I think it's simply a case of they just feel like uh, Donovan is more, more advanced right now, you know, with having had the year in the system. Um, let's see. Searching through that, I have a cool little note. I'm sure you watch this uh, as, as you're watching pregame warmups done. But if I'm not mistaken, I thought Barry Morton was your backup punter for a little bit because he was punting during warmups. So, you know, cool. yeah, he, he has been. Matt, Matt said, uh, Matt Wills said that he was during, he definitely was during a time when John, Jonathan Garibay had a broken hand and had a cast on it where he could catch punts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure which of those two, uh, you know, if Austin McNamara pulled a hamstring or something, I'm not sure those two would be the guy now. But yeah, he would be, he was a backup punter at some point. And heck, uh, when you and I were standing in the uh, uh, sports performance center one afternoon during interviews, uh, so hey, he was booming, wasn't he? Field goal, Baron kicked a, he kicked a 50 yard field goal, yeah, you know, no rush. Nobody, uh, obviously, no, uh, wasn't wasn't like a game, but he kicked yeah. a fifth and it, it had plenty of leg, and it was it was down the middle. Uh, Weston Odom asked, "Is Gary Patterson a real option?" I don't think so. I mean, I think he's just trying to keep his own job right now. <laughs> frankly, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, right, our friend Ryan King. Asked favorite thing about Norman and or Oklahoma for each of you. Do you have a favorite thing about Norman and Oklahoma, Carlos? 
Oh man, that's a really good question. I'm sure there's, it would be food related, but I mean, we do this off the cuff, so I'd have to really think about it, but I mean, I do. Well, I, tell, you, I, tell you what, you, you think about, think about it for cool. a second, because I, I have some answers. Uh, and I, in my ratings of favorite big 12 cities, best big 12 cities, Lubbock was number one and uh, Norman was number two. So I am partial uh, to Oklahoma, my trips up there. Um, uh, I, and part of it for me is I, I like the people. I have known several Oklahoma folks uh, over the course of my career, and there's not, and, and every one of them was uh, some, some of my best friends are Okies, some of my favorite former coworkers. Uh, uh, heck, our, our old buddy David Collier over at uh, Red Rider Nation. He's from Oklahoma. Oh Ryan, boy, Ryan King, the man who asked the question. He's from Oklahoma. Uh, don't tell people that because then they'll be wondering why there's so much sooner coverage on Red Raider Nation now. Good, good, good. Uh, so good people from Oklahoma. That's been my experience. And uh, as you said, Carlos, I like some, uh, I like some of the barbecue places in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, if well, if if I if I recall the question that you just said, he said all of Oklahoma. I do enjoy Bricktown. I do enjoy going to the Big Twelve baseball. Uh, championships when they were there, obviously it switched to to the Fort Worth, Dallas Fort Worth area now, which is kind of cool. So we get to see it at Rangers Ballpark. But uh, I, I I would be remiss to say that it's kind of cool to watch a game at the uh, you old know, Oklahoma football field. The press box is probably about as tiny as a closet, but it's it's pretty fun to watch a game there to kind of hear all the fans and see a, a big old deal like that. I think that's kind of cool. And I can't really recall any food right now off the top of my head. Cause like I said, usually it's a, I'm sure for you, it's kind of a day trip for me. I go cover the game and I drive back most of the time. So not much to recall. Okay. Still several more questions. So we, uh, let's see, moving along uh, quick answer here. What is your opinion on Art Brown's hire? Do you like it? Uh, I don't know necessarily like it or don't like it. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. Uh, just it comes with the understanding that uh, you're gonna have you're gonna it's gonna be a P- PR nightmare for Texas Tech. Uh, I, I think the bigger thing that Texas Tech has to ask itself, or, or one of the an equally big thing that Tech would have to ask itself is, you know, R. Browns is 65 years old. Can he could he do at Tech at age 65 what he did at Baylor? Um, you know, when he was in his early got started in his early to mid fifties. That's uh, I think as big a question for tech is can he make the good times happen again in terms of uh, getting a program really going uh, at this stage of, of his career. I think we kind of already covered it, but certainly donors want him. I don't think it's a very good PR hire and uh to your point about the 65 years old, it's kind of uh, just a note, but Jim Levitt, who's on the staff of Sonny Dykes, he's 64. He's their defensive coordinator. So there's that. Uh, Sharon Curtis asked, uh, what is uh, Patterson? And the incredibly incompetent special teams coach still have a job. Uh, and to come be, why couldn't the Red Raiders score one stinking point the second half? And why can't the quarterback take the snap from center? And why are the future quarterbacks getting almost zero playing time? Let's take the last one first. Why are the future quarterbacks getting almost zero playing time? Because this is college football. 
where the objective is to win every Saturday. It's not minor league baseball where the objective is to develop the young players for the future with no regard to winning and losing. As a college football coach, your, your first priority is putting the team on the field each Saturday that you feel like gives you the best chance to win. And if they felt like Donovan Smith uh, or Baron Morton gave them the best chance to win this Saturday, then I can guarantee you they would be the guys playing quarterback. But they don't feel like those two guys give them the best chance to win at this point. And so in doing uh, – and, and if that's the case – then you play the experienced guys. Um, again, minor league baseball is about developing young players where you don't care whether you're winning or losing that on a particular night. Uh, doesn't really matter that much. It's about developing the young players. College football is about winning every Saturday. And if you develop the young players along the way, then that's in game time, then that's a bonus. You develop those guys. If they're not ready, then you develop those guys in practice and you develop those guys in spring practice and you develop those guys in August camp. Uh, as for why Gary Patterson and Sharon, I think why uh, not Gary Patterson, Keith Patterson and Mark Tummerdahl to be fired as well. But you still have four games to play. You can't just fire everybody. You got to have somebody to coach the guys. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, while special teams uh, really struggled last year, special teams, I'm not sure you can, I don't know that you can really make a case against special teams this year. Jonathan Garibay's 10 for 10 and has kicked a game-winning field goal. Austin McNamara is averaging 45 yards and has not had a punt blocked. And in some of the more subtle areas, your kick coverage has been really good. And you faced mm -hmm. top kick return guys Virtually every game this year, starting with Marcus Jones against Houston, with uh, Malik Knowles from last week at Kansas State. Well, let's 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 go through them. Marcus Jones against Houston, uh, FIU's guy had a had a kickoff return touchdown last year. He didn't hurt you. Marcus Jones didn't hurt you a bit. Uh, Deshaun Jameson from Texas, one of the best kickoff return guys in the Big Twelve. Now, he did have a long punt return against him, but it was after the game was out of hand. Um, West Virginia's guy, Winston Wright, was second in the nation in kickoff returns. He didn't do anything against you. Uh, TCU guy, TCU's guy, Darius Davis, killed you last year at TCU. He didn't do anything against you uh, this year. Um, as you said, Malik Knowles, three career kickoff return touchdowns. And uh, Phillip Brooks, three career punt return touchdowns for Kansas State. And the biggest special teams play last week was uh, the fumble and the kickoff return by Knowles. That's recovered and turned into a touchdown. So, yeah, whereas uh, Mark Tumerdahl's guys did not have a good year last year, they've, they've had a good year this year. The only critique you can really say is, uh, you know, they haven't really made much happen in the kick, the kick or punt return game, which is – it's been a while, particularly, and it's strange for a program that's had as many great punt returns as this program has had. They have not uh, been a punt return threat for a few years now. Yeah, not only that, but then a bad, I guess, decision. I guess that's maybe what she's talking about. And the thing is, is like the special teams, people remember the difficult or the, the bad plays made. The one, I can't remember who was the punt returner, but essentially let the, let the football bounce, and that led to being – 
inside the five. And that's what obviously started the, the uh, safety on that, on that, on that offensive drive. So I think that's probably what people think about is just all the bad stuff, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. They've certainly turned around the bad field goal kicking. You're almost automatic with Jonathan Garibay game winner and Austin McNamara has probably been an MVP at times where he's coffin punted or he's been able to really switch the field for you. Uh, let's see, moving on. Uh, I think now we're kind of getting into some questions that have sort of already been asked and answered, but yeah. Uh, so I have a question for you. you, 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 you go, oh, go okay, ahead. go ahead. Go, go ahead. Carl. Okay. So with Matt Wells getting let go five and three, a little th- three years and change. Do you think this is a change in philosophy now for Kirby or just athletics athletic directors in general now with maybe you're not getting that four to five years anymore because of the transfer portal. Do you think there's something to this? Because well, I think, I, 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 fix, I, I, if I you think, will. I, I think what you're seeing is uh, I think it's so, so the age of social media has uh, hastened the demise of a lot of coaches. I think the the fact that uh, you know in the old days people talked talked about the pro complained about the program at the barber shop. Now they all get together in uh, on message boards, and uh, I, I think the outrage, you know, the unhinged nature of message boards, the outrage uh, puts more heat on ads to can coaches quickly. And I think it's, uh, I think that is much of a reason because because fans can kind of join forces against the program now more so than in the past. That's a fair assessment. To affect or force change. Yeah, no, that's certainly. I, I just thought it was interesting because it's like now, Matt had talked about it and mentioned that the transfer portal is essentially free agency, which is kind of what Cliff now has. And speaking of Cliff, he's the head coach of the only undefeated team in the NFL. And I think that's something that really helped him was he's able to just kind of pick and choose some guys that will help him on offense and defense as a defensive coordinator, don't have to recruit. And now here you go. Seven and oh, just as you and I predicted, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't, really, doesn't surprise me necessarily. Oh no, the success doesn't surprise me at all. The the seven and oh kind of surprises me to be honest with you. Cause that's. Well, of course, Cliff, Cliff was seven and seven and Cliffs was seven his always first year here, but uh, unfortunately, that was as good as it got. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't really see anything else that's not what we. Well, I'll tell you what. Okay, I'll tell you what. AG3 jumped in here and said, uh, Who's the favorite to become the head football coach at Texas Tech? Uh, I'll say Jeff Trailer, but like I say, I, I think he's kind of co favorites with Sonny Dykes. I'm going Sonny Dykes just because he's a head coach. And I, I think there's a little bit of a trend with Krista Gurley coming back. You got Tim Tadlock, who's a tech alum. I think it'd be kind of cool to say your head football coach, who's now not a up and coming offensive uh, guru. Uh, he's now a head coach established and that can certainly unify your fan base. And I think that could, that could be a big deal. And, and the other, and, and I know we didn't touch on this too, Don, I think the other factors to kind of look at that you have to look at personally, Sonny, uh, when you look at what he's got with SMU, yeah, he's got a good deal, but how is that new American Athletic Conference going to look compared to a new Big 12 conference in the next couple of years? Do you oh, want to you're right. 
essentially what a, a, a updated Sun Belt, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because I forget one of the writer, one writer wrote, uh, you know, the tech job got worse, gets worse with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12. But the SMU job got a lot worse with Cincinnati and Houston and uh, UCF leaving the AAC, which was clearly the next bit, which is clearly the next best conference after the Power Five. Yes. Soon it would kind of just be like the rest of the group of five conferences. It won't really have, it won't have the depth of program strength that it enjoys now. So, yes, that's a, uh, that's a big, I think, reason for Sonny to be on the move uh, fairly soon. Um, let's see. AG3 also asked, uh, uh, how would you fix this program to have it trend in the right direction? How far back does this firing put tech in the sense of being competitive enough to compete for a Big 12 championship? Well, they're nowhere close to competing for a Big 12 championship right now. So let's just talk about how would you fix this program to have it trend in the right direction? I think, I think they have to recruit the Texas high school ranks better. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, as Kirby Hokut said, uh, there's going to be a premium on this high being this higher being well connected in Texas high schools, and uh, and having a lot of contacts in the state. Uh, but you know, it's kind of like you said a moment ago, though, Carlos. Uh, will a coach be given enough time to take 20, 18 year olds from Texas high schools and develop them with? Uh, as fast as coaches are being fired these days, I think you're still going to have to, you're still going to take guys from the portal, but I think tech tech has to get back to recruiting and signing a higher percentage of like state top 100 recruits in Texas, because coaches have done that. You know, Spike Dykes got some Tommy Tuberville that one year got some uh, Jim Carlin did as well as anybody did. Uh, tech tech has to get back to that. Um, interesting thing to kind of look at too is with the addition of the sports performance center. And then eventually uh, the other good thing that you can tell some of these prospective head coaches is we're going to have a new football facility in you know, two to three years when you're here. So that's something else that you can say. And, and the one thing that I will say that high school is going to be a big deal, Don, is because tech is a developmental football program. I mean, that was what Matt Wells talked about. That's what Kirby talked about is when you develop, that's what has made tech good. And maybe the transfer portal will be to a point where when you do develop some of these guys, you just kind of pick and choose who you need. And I think that's the one thing that at least where whoever the next coach is, assuming there's not some mass exodus of transfers, they've got a little bit more talent than Matt Wells had to deal with when he first got here. And I think that's at least to a credit to what they were able to do is get some competitive depth. It took them three years, but they finally have a sense at certain positions. I, I, I will see that point, but uh, I think it's interesting to see that the transfer portal was such a huge help in that sense. And I think that's the one thing that will be interesting to see how the next football coach kind of deals with that is do you recruit early? Do you use a transfer portal? And the other one, one last point that I'll bring up, you have to get someone quick because you've got that first December signing period too coming up. Yep. Earlier than ever. Uh, yes. Craig, Craig Jefferson asked about uh, uh, Jeff Levy, who was the uh, OC at Ole Miss, which has a, which really has things going this year. Uh, they also, of course, have one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. 
Uh, Jeff Levy, uh, gosh, I can remember when I started at the AJ and head coach, or early in my career at the AJ, head football coach at Andrews was uh, Mike Levy. And his son, Jeff, was an offensive lineman for the Andrews Mustangs. Um, I think he is, uh, you know, has a good resume, um, is a, uh, again, kind of has it going at the moment with where he is. I don't think he's uh, one of the primary targets, but I think he's one of the guys that um, if things don't come together with one of the, with one of your shortlist guys, that he could be another guy that you uh, that you investigate and talk to. And he comes with a, uh, you know, he's part of Art Brown's family, Art Brown's son-in-law. So uh, you have a not the same level of uh, PR question to work around, but uh, some folks will, would be opposed to him, I think, for that. Um, John Sparks asked, could a win over Oklahoma lead to a coaching search? Situation at Tech, I guess the implication there, John, saying that uh, could Sonny Kemby work his way into this deal? Uh, possibly. I mean, if, if Sonny. If he wins two of the last four, that's a conversation starter, I would at least think. Well, I think if he won two. I think if you if you like, if you like won two of these games uh, and didn't get blown out by anybody, I think you could uh, make the committee think, hey, is the guy we need already here? Uh, with that said, though, you know, again, Sonny, another example of a guy who you know, has not been a college head coach and at the position and where the program is right now. Um, I'm not sure you want to take that risk with a uh, coach who's only been and who's been only an assistant coach, uh, who's been only a coordinator in Sonny's case, which, you know, brings uh, makes me think, of, you know, another guy that people have asked about is, uh, Baylor's associate head coach, Joey McGuire, who was really successful as a head coach at Cedar Hill. But I just don't think that's going to happen because he's not been a coordinator. He's not been a head coach. He's not a coordinator in college, let alone a head coach. And you're not going to go from being a position coach to being a power five head coach. So that's not going to happen, even though people have talked about, you know, brought his name up a lot. Um I think our friend David Collier from over at uh, – He's finally done with this program since we've been here for two hours. <laughs> I, think our, I think our friend David asked, uh, yes, if you had to listen to one singer on your travels to Oklahoma, would it be Toby Keith or Garth Brooks? Uh, both. I like both of them. I listen to Garth Brooks more, so I'll take, uh, I'll take Garth Brooks' music. I like both, so – but you know me, Don. I, I'll, I'll listen to Lincoln Park, which annoys the hell out of you, so <laughs> – you know what? I think we've made it through all the questions, Carlos. No, well, certainly a busy week done. Uh, I, I know hopefully this at least uh, gives people a little bit of perspective, at least as to what we're hearing. But certainly, as you mentioned, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. I know there were some other names that we mentioned, like Jeff Lebby, who are, you know, second tier, you know, potential targets, if you will, um, that may see their names pop up in, in the next couple couple of weeks or something. If like you said, if maybe the first tier targets aren't uh, interested, but I, I would be absolutely shocked if at least the first two aren't at least given, given some, some, uh, some interviews, second interviews and really try to, to figure this out. Now, again, the other interesting factor is what if, you know, Texas Tech gets a couple wins under Sonny Cumbie and then that conversation has to happen, which 
it seemed like Kirby was a little, I guess, caught off guard when someone did ask uh, that question during his press conference. And he eventually said like, yeah, I guess we'll talk to him. <laughs> but I mean, uh, certainly it'd be interesting, but I think with the move that they made, I think there was certainly a proactive manner uh, behind that. And I think that's, at least to what you and I are hearing, those are the two guys that at least right now are kind of on the minds of the, the search committee that includes Kirby Hoke, Tony Hernandez, Sammy Morris, and Dusty Womble and Cody Campbell. There it is. Bob Gatt. Yep. All righty. Uh, we appreciate everybody who uh, listened. We appreciate everybody that sent us questions. We do this every week. Uh, if you would like to send us a question to be included on the uh, podcast, uh, I can be reached at at AJ underscore Don Williams and Carlos can be reached at at CM Silva JR for junior. And uh, Carlos will be uh, uh, basketball is his kind of bailiwick and that's going to be cranking up again soon. So I've got some basketball questions, shoot some of those his way. And uh, I guess that'll again, cover us for this week. So yep. uh, enjoy the trip to Norman, man. Enjoy the trip to Norman. Sure. We had a lot of stuff, but uh, there's a game to be played this weekend. <laughs> 2.30 p.m. Saturday, Texas Tech at OU. And uh, we'll have full coverage uh, leading up to the game and then afterward in the pages of the AJ and at LubbockOnline.com. So uh, for Carlos, I'm Don. Take care, and we'll talk to you again soon.